All right, good morning, church. What a great start, huh? Man, okay, if you, you've got about four minutes to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 21. And I say four minutes because what I'm going to do is um, I'd like to... Hold on one sec. What I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, give you a little bit of a recap on where we've been. If you've just joined us or you're like, why are we studying the book of Leviticus? It's a weird, weird book. You're right. It is a weird, weird book, but we, we think it's amazing and we want people to understand it better. So to help you know where we've been up to this point, um, we're going to show you a, a brief four-minute um, kind of recap of, of the book. This group called the, uh, the Gospel or the Bible Project have done an awesome job illustrating the book of Leviticus. And actually, the map on the backside of your notes is kind of a, a cartoon version of that. And so I wanted to show... I love cartoons personally. And so I wanted to show you an illustrated way to help you compartmentalize and understand what this book is all about as a, as a kind of a summary and a review of where we've been from the beginning of Leviticus till now. So take a look. The book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, and it's set right after the exodus of the Israelites from their slavery, when God brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai and invited Israel into a covenant relationship. Now, they had quickly rebelled and broke that covenant, and God had wanted for his glorious presence to come and live right in the midst of Israel in the form of this tabernacle. But Israel's sin has damaged the relationship. So, at the end of the previous book, Exodus, Moses, as Israel's representative, could not even enter God's presence in the tent. The book of Leviticus opens by reminding us of this fundamental problem. It says, the Lord called to Moses from the tent. So the question is, how can Israel, in their sin and selfishness, be reconciled to this holy God? That's what this book is all about, how God is graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his holy presence. Now, let's pause for a second and explore this really important idea that God is holy. It's fundamental to understanding this book. The word holy means simply to be set apart or unique. And in the Bible, God is set apart from all other things because of his unique role as the creator of all, as the author of life itself. And so if God is holy, then the space around God is also holy. It's full of his goodness and his life and purity and justice. So, if Israel, who is unjust and sinful, wants to live in God's holy presence, they too need to become holy. Their sin has to be dealt with. Thus, the book of Leviticus. Now, the book has a really amazing symmetrical design. It explores the three main ways that God helps Israel to live in his presence. The outer sections are descriptions of the rituals Israel was to practice in God's holy presence. The next inner sections focus on the role of Israel's priests as mediators between God and Israel. And inside of that are two matching sections that focus on Israel's purity. And then right here at the center of the book, there's a key ritual, the Day of Atonement, that brings the whole book together. The book concludes with a short section where Moses calls on Israel to be faithful to this covenant. Let's dive into the book. The first section explores the five main types of ritual sacrifices that Israel was to perform. Two of these were ways that an Israelite could say thank you to God by offering back to God these symbolic tokens of what God has first given them. Three other sacrifices were different ways of saying sorry to God. So here an Israelite would offer up the lifeblood of an animal while confessing that their sin has created more evil and death in God's good world. But instead of destroying this person, God, of course, wants to forgive them. And so this animal symbolically dies in their place and atones, which means it covers for their sin. 
And so through these rituals, the Israelites were constantly being reminded of God's grace, but also of his justice and of the seriousness of their evil and its consequences. The second set of rituals lays out the seven annual feasts of Israel. And each of these retold a different part of the story about how God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And by celebrating these feasts regularly, Israel would remember who they were and who God was to them. Now the sections about Israel's priests, you have Aaron and his sons first ordained to enter into God's presence on behalf of Israel. And then in this matching section, we find the qualifications for being a priest. The priests were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness because they represented the people before God, but then also represented God to the people. Now, we find out why the priest's holiness matters so much back here in this first section. Right after the family of Aaron was ordained, two of his sons waltz right into God's presence and flagrantly violate the rules. And so they are consumed by God's holiness on the spot. It's a haunting reminder of the paradox of living in God's holy presence. Because it's pure goodness but it becomes dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. And so it's important that Israel's priests become holy and also that all of the people of Israel become holy, which is what the next intersections are all about. Chapters 11 through 15. Okay, we're going to move on from there. So that, does that kind of help you see the layout a little bit better? It's, it blew my mind when I saw like how amazingly, like again, symmetrical it is. There's been people who wrote me in like, why are we jumping all around the book? Like, I mean, we're not going from chapter one to the end of the book. Why are we jumping? Oh, you're skipping over the sketchy parts. Because <laughs> there's some sketchy, sketchy parts in this book. And you're just like, it's just, it's just too hot to handle, right? No, the reason that we're skipping around is because of the fact that we're actually trying to follow each of those sections where we go from the rituals to rituals to the priests to priests. And if you want to be offended, we're getting to the purity section next week and the week after. There's tons to be offended by there. Come on and enjoy. So that's why we're jumping around the way that we are. But let's go ahead and start off with this, which again is the second part. This week is the second part of the conversation about priests. Last week we talked about the ordination of Aaron and his sons. Um, and this week we're talking about the qualifications of the priests. Okay, so this is something for the priests. So we're going to look at it, chapter 21. We're looking at the first eight verses of that. Okay, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron. All right, so who are we talking to here? The sons of Aaron, okay? And what, what, what's their occupation? Priests, okay. And so the sons of Aaron are priests, okay? A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him, since she has no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. Okay, pause. What? What they're talking about is this. A, a priest, again, different from everyone else in the Hebrew group that are following God, a priest couldn't go and touch a corpse. And so like a priest can't go around like a funeral. A priest couldn't go to a funeral unless it's like his immediate family. Then that was okay. But even that was like, it was like a little bit sketchy. And the high priest even was in, had to take a step out from that. And so, like, the, the, the priests had to say, we, everything we're doing is we're being distinct. We're, we're set apart from God, even in this. Anything that, that resembles death or, or defilement from sin, we, we're going we're gonna to be one step out of that. 
okay? Jump on over to the next verse, verse five. Priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beard or their bodies. Okay, now is this for everyone? This proclamation, don't shave your head or shave off the sides of your beard. No, who's it for? The priests, okay? So this is not for Charlie down the road. This is not for us. This is for the priests right here, what we're seeing. He continues on. Uh, They must be, verse six, they must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God because they present the food offerings to the Lord, the food for their God. They're to be holy. Verse seven, they're not to marry women defiled by prostitution or divorce from their husbands because the priests are holy to their God. Regard them as holy because they offer up food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy who make you holy. And if you look at verse 10, the high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. And he goes on from there. Basically, what we see here is throughout 21 and 22, we see this. If you're a priest, here, or if, here's the people, here's the priest, big old step up. If you're a high priest, even higher than that. And, um, and that's one of those things where as we're looking at that, we can kind of see what God is doing. Um, we can kind of see that there's a couple of people in this passage that we should be paying attention to. The first is God. He's the one we, right from the beginning of chapter 21, we see that God is referred to. The Lord is talking to Moses. So all this stuff is coming from God to who? Who's he talking to? The people. That's right. There's all these people that he's talking to. Um, But there's another character in this whole passage. Who's the other character? The priests. Right. And this is the interesting thing. Because what God's people recognize is that there must be, and what God is communicating to them, is there must be a go-between. I, all, all the things that I sacrifice, if I'm bringing offerings to God, I'm doing that individually, but I'm also bringing sacrifices so that the priests offer them to God. There is a go-between between the two of us. And again, this role is majorly important because the priest is representing the people to God. So this guy's life, it re- what he does really, really is important and matters. But he's also representing God to the people. He's communicating things from God to them. They're walking away from sacrifices knowing that the shame is lifted. That's something that God has conveyed to them to pass on to the people. Majorly important role that this person is playing. And as we get into this passage, we get to the chapter, we see something really cool surface. Six times in chapter 21 and 22, we see like six headings. It's like it breaks up into six sections. And the six sections all start with some variation of this phrase. I, the Lord, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. It's a really awesome, fancy, religious sounding word. What's sanctify mean? Make holy or set apart, okay? And, and I mean, it could be a religious word, but it could be a common word too. If you got like, if you're a dad and you've got like eight cookies and you're like, okay, everyone gets a cookie, but I get two cookies because I'm the dad. Don't touch my cookies. You set apart those cookies. Those cookies are now what? Sanctified. They are set apart. They are preserved. There's something special about them. Don't touch either cookies, all right? That is sanctification. And so God is saying, I've done that with you. I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you apart from everyone else. And priests, I'm setting you additionally apart as well. And, and each one of these sections talks about how God is doing that. Throughout 21 and 22, he talks about how he's setting them apart in the way that they, as priests, are supposed to avoid, just in their actions, avoid becoming polluted. The next section is how the high priest, and Aaron is the high priest, okay? So his, his kids are the, are, are the priests. He is the high priest. 
how the high priest avoids being polluted. He gets into the next section. I'm the Lord who sets you apart in physical imperfections and, and, and how you make sure that everyone who is a priest is someone who's as blemish-free as possible. Any type of physical abnormalities, any type of physical issues would disqualify you from being a priest. This is someone who is, again, a visual, everything is set apart in this person. Fourthly, or, uh, uh, yeah, fourthly, defilement and the eating of priest's food. Fifthly, those who are entitled to eat the priest's food. This is an important one. If you're, okay, so if you're Aaron, you're the high priest. So you get, your family gets lots of perks. One of those perks is your kids have a certain vocation. What, are, what do his sons get to do? They're priests, right. Not only that, but if you're a priest, your family also gets some extra backstage pass perks as well. You get privileges. You get to eat. There's no one who's allowed to eat the priest's food that's sacrificed. There's like a portion given to God and a portion in Leviticus that's said it's supposed to go to the, to the priest's family. If you're in the priest's family, you get the backstage pass to that menu. And so that there was some privilege. As, as someone who's in the priest's family, you felt privileged. And, uh, and then it finishes off with a section on acceptable offerings. Now, here's, the, here's the, the thing. All of this stuff, everything that the priest was doing was intended to give the people a better picture of the fact that God has set them apart. Not them, but set them as a people apart. A better picture of God. And it also was intended to help these guys do a better job loving them. We're going to do things that you're not called to do so that we can serve you. We're going to have a higher standard than you have so that we can love you and serve you and better impact you. So it, it, was, it, was a, it was something that was love. It was out of love. It was, it was amazing. Um, and one thing that we can, we can get from this is this. This is important because this is, they went sideways pretty quick on this. There are things that the priests do and do not do that make them distinct, but it's God who makes them holy. When we look through Leviticus, there's a lots of, okay, eat this, but don't eat this. You could touch this, but don't touch this. You could do this, but don't do that. Do any of those actions, do any of the things that these priests are doing, do any of those things make them holy? No. None of those actions make them holy. How do we know? Take a look at verse 8 again. Listen to this passage. Regard them, the priests, as holy. Why? Because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. Do the actions that the priests do make them holy? No. Who makes them holy? God. Do the actions that we do make us holy? No. Who makes us holy? God. There are things that a priest do and do not do that make them distinct, but it's God who makes them holy. In other words, like if we went to like a fancy restaurant like Grandma's Diner here in town, okay? And, and like let's say that we're, we're eating over at Grandma's and um, let's say you're looking over and you, you're seeing someone and they're just like shoveling food in. Like, ah, 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 ah. And like it's a, let's just say it's um, like a corned beef hash skillet, the hobo skillet, and they're just inhaling that thing and just like, I, I've seen it happen. And, and, and they're just inhaling it. Would you take notice of that? Yeah, why? Because it's distinct, it's different. Like, hmm, why is Errol eating like that? Okay, now if you looked over across the way at grandma's and you saw someone who's, everyone's sitting, uh, you know, very nicely and they've got, they're, they're all dressed very nicely and when they pick up their glass of iced tea, they whoop, pick up their little like pinky finger and they, oh, yeah. Would you notice that? 
Yes. Why? It's distinct. Now, here's the thing. God is doing something where he's like, okay, you guys are going to live distinctly. Are people going to take notice? You betcha they are. They're going to totally take notice. They're going to take notice and ask questions. But does that make you holy? No. It doesn't make you holy. In fact, there's lots of people we know that are distinctly good. I mean, they're like great parents, awesome. Like, they're like the grandma that gives the best gifts. They're the person that's the coworker that's just always super easy to work with. And they're like really, really good and distinct. They're distinct, but that distinction doesn't make them holy. Those actions don't make them holy. What makes them holy? God makes them holy, and only God makes them holy. Another way to put this would be this way. A holy priest will choose to live distinctly, but living distinctly does not make a person holy. So a a priest who has been made holy by God will choose to live distinctly, but those distinctions don't make them holy. Only God does that. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we see this whole process, when we see the, the whole reality of the people and the priest and God, let's see if we can get this moving along. All right, I'm going to switch over here. When we see this whole uh, reality happening, we see a problem take place. And actually, uh, part of the problem is something that Pastor Dave talked about just recently. I mean, I talked about it last week. He talked about the fact that um, when we see the priestly system, um, we see the sacrifices the people were having. And that was the first part of the problem. The first part of the problem is the fact that this was so burdensome. If you're over here, you're someone who's saying like, man, Leviticus is so clear on what I'm supposed to do for God and how I'm supposed to, like, because I've done something wrong, I, I bring sacrifices to God. I do that independently, but I'm also bringing sacrifices to priests. And the priests bring those sacrifices to God. And when I sin, man, I've sinned again. Okay, I'm going to bring this sacrifice. It's costly. It's burdensome. I've got to trek a big old way to come on over to the priest. When they're in Jerusalem, I'm like trekking from wherever I live, and I'm bringing it, this sacrifice to God, uh, to, to the priests who are giving it to God. And I do this over and over again. And after a while, I'll be honest, just between you and me, every time I'm sinning, I'm not bringing a sacrifice. It's just too costly. Because like, I'm like, seriously, I'm on the way back from bringing a priest a sacrifice to give to God. And all of a sudden, on the way back, I walk right into my front door. My wife says something. And then I explode. I'm like, here I go again. And I'm bringing something else back over here to the priest to bring it over here to God. And after a while, I'm going, I can't afford this anymore. Do you know how costly my sin is? You know how hard it is? How burdensome it is? To, how costly it is to keep on? I just wish. I just wish. There was like one sacrifice that would be the final sacrifice that would just be done with. That I wouldn't have to keep on doing this. But, wouldn't it, but you know what's cool? Because I may not be strong in my faith, but I know someone who is. These guys. I mean, these guys are like awesome. They're like perfect people. Um, they never do anything wrong. And if I'm leaning on them... You know, my faith might not be super strong, but if, I'm, if my faith is leaning on these guys, I'm golden. That was the second problem. Not only were the, the, was the process burdensome, but the priests were bad. And they were bad from the get-go. People didn't have a whole lot of time to be disillusioned with the priestly process. I mean, again, who's the high priest? Yeah, let's take a look at his entry-level day on the job. He's supposed to be the guy who's like calling people into worship and to God. And this picture is a beautiful picture of Aaron leading people in worship. One problem, wrong God, 
Wrong God, the golden calf. That's a bad day. Now that's the end, that's not the, at the, you know, after years and years of diluted teaching or something that Aaron got off the grid and went off the rails. It was the first, right before the law comes down, this is what Aaron is doing. And, and, and so people right off the bat understand our head priest, our high priest has got a track record of not being the guy who's the greatest go-between between us and God. And not only the high priest, the priests. You look at his kids, Nadab and Abihu, who no one will ever name their children, Nadab and Abihu. Why? Because the names are weird, weird names. But on top of that, it's because these guys did some terrible stuff. As you heard last week, and even in the video summary, these guys um, are two people who basically say this. God, I mean, if anything Leviticus is, it's black and white. There's not a whole lot of gray area. Sacrifice like this. Don't sacrifice like this. And so what these guys do is like, I know, but I'm going to go ahead and go with, because that's what I'm feeling like. Now, Pastor Dave indicated, he kind of tipped his hat to the fact that these guys might have been a little lit. They may have been a little bit under the influence, and that's why they did what they did. And that's why later on in Leviticus, it's saying, look, if you're a priest, you should not be drinking wine when you're going and performing your priestly duties. Example A, Nadab and Abihu. These guys know how that they're supposed to take fire from the altar and offer it a, in a specified way to, to God. God is an organized God. He's a clear-cut God. He's not just like, whatever, God. He's very clear-cut. And so if you're a priest, you've signed up for a higher expectation and a higher understanding between you and God. And so they do. And they're like, you know what? Uh, let's get fire from over here. But we're supposed to get fire from over here. I know, man, but it's fire. Fire is fire. And so they get fire and they walk in and, and they go right into the presence of God. And God's like, fire is fire. Fire. <laughs> and so everyone's like, yeah, let's never do that again. Okay, so people understand right off the bat. <sighs> if this is God's best, wouldn't it be great if we had a priest that we could actually rely on? Like that was not so messed up or fallible. Like wouldn't it be great if we had one who actually, I don't know, was actually perfect? I haven't met one, and no one ever did, including when they, all the way up into the time when we see Jesus. We see um, him calling out the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who lived out Leviticus to its perfection. Again, these were people who thought that the, the worst word, like the most strong profane word that you could lob at them is that you're unclean. Because they did everything they could do to be not defiled. Everything is clean. Everything is perfect. Everything is Levitically upstanding and right on the money. So what does Jesus do? He totally gets in their face and says this, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. What are priests not allowed to touch? Dead stuff. What does Jesus say? You can't even get away from the dead stuff because it's on the inside of you. You've done all this work to make sure the outside is just perfect. I'm just doing everything right. It looks so awesomely perfect. But on the inside, you're dead. You're dead. The very things that I intended you to serve the people, the very things I wanted you to actually use to pour into these people out of love and, and to make a better picture of God, you've actually used them to make yourself more entitled you're falling all over the place. Make yourself more entitled and more distant. You're looking at them like you're holier than them. Every single person here in this room, we've all experienced this frustration when we've had someone, and it may have been a priest, it may have been a pastor, it may have been a spiritual leader, 
someone who you read their books or you listen to their podcasts or sermons, and all of a sudden, like, man, I was looking up to this person, and then they failed, or they failed me. And all of a sudden, it put a conflict in your faith, a conflict that, that actually the movie um, Spotlight uh, showcased in an amazing, profound way. I watched this um, on the film, on an on airplane one time. Uh, I think, um, yeah, and it, it was just one of the most poignant look at this uh, group of reporters who is researching the, the abuses within the Catholic Church. And, and they just came upon it, and they thought that maybe this is something where it's just like we're talking about one bad priest. And so that was going to be the story, but then they realized, no, it's more like 10. And then they start to explore more, and they realize, no, it's not just 10. It's more like 90 to 100, and the abuses go decades and decades long. And not only that, the church is covering it up. Now, this all, like, surfaced, right, late 90s, early 2000s. And you guys all remember that. And, and, that, and a lot of people were throwing rocks at the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church were, were not the only ones who were in systematic, like, denial or cover-up of child abuse in their systems. The UN missions, um, when they have their, their Endeavor uh, trips that the UN does, had all this, Boy Scouts of America, every, every group that you could imagine that you would think would be trustworthy wasn't. And that was like this massive revelation. But the Catholic Church got the most rocks thrown at them. Why? Because I thought I could trust them. And you talk to a lot of people, and maybe this is part of your story, where, look, my faith was there for so long, but I'll be honest, a lot of my faith was resting on the fact that I could trust these guys. My faith was leaning on them. If I can't trust them, maybe I can't trust him either. If these guys are a fraud, maybe he is as well. A lot of us, again, maybe all of us, have been disappointed, let down, myself included, by pastors, priests, spiritual leaders. And if you haven't yet, you will. Are you leaning on that person for your spiritual growth? It's, it's an expectations thing. And this is what, what happened. If, if the Levitical church was, if their expectations were all resting on these guys, they were in trouble they're in big trouble because if that was the expectation, they were setting themselves up for massive, just being, just total disaster. Which brings me to one of the worst dates of my life. Um, many of you have had terrible, terrible dates, dates that you'll never share because you, you weep when you share these terrible dates. I've heard some of them and they make me cry just thinking about, that was an awful situation that you went through. But this was one that I went through. When I was in college, uh, my, my roommate, Josh Bailey, set me up on this date and I go on this date um, to... Uh, to go to Lou's. We're going to Lou's, and I, I'm not a big fan of Lou's pizza, but I love their desserts. They've got like cookie pizza dessert. Have you ever tried this? And you like, it's like this cookie in a pan, and they put ice cream all over it. I'm just like devouring. I've never had a dessert look quite like this. I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm eating it like a McFadden. So it's just like, just like, oh, and, I, and as I'm talking to, the, to this person, this girl, Emily, I'm just like just, just shoveling back ice cream load after ice cream. And I'm filling every square cubic inch of my mouth. There's like, it's totally saturated. No vacancy. Occupado. In here. Okay, it's like all, it's, it's totally full, right? I have, um, my whole life, I've, ha- I've struggled with chronic sinusitis, which means that I get sinus infections real easily, um, at least up until like the last couple of years. And um, 
but this time in my life, I, I really had, and this was actually one of the days I had a really terrible sinus infection. And my sinus infections are, are awful. They're like, they're in there for like two weeks. And like, basically, all, like everything in my nose just becomes this industrial thick snot. That is like all the beautiful shades that an artist would imagine in greens and yellows and it's wonderful. And it basically lives up there for a couple of weeks until the antibiotics kick in. I love how I'm setting all you up for, for lunch here. Um, and so that's all up there. Okay, fast, forward, fast rewind back to that setting. I'm shoveling in ice cream load after ice cream load. And I'm like, she's not getting all of this. I'm and so I'm, as I'm sitting there just eating, 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 all of a sudden, she says something that is hilarious. Oh, this has happened to you. So... This, and she's funny, and she said something that was, I wish I could take you back to the moment. It was brilliant. It's so funny. It was so funny that all the energy in my body is like, is like ah! it wants to do that, right? And so all the energy is rising up and going up 75 miles per hour through my body, up to my mouth to get out this, <laughs> but my brain is smart. And it says, you can't laugh now because if you laugh, ice cream's gonna go all over Emily. So you gotta like double down and rottweiler your jaw and you know, and like keep it in. And so I'm like, I'm gonna keep it in. And my brain is doing this like in milliseconds. The brain is an amazing thing. It's like, I'm just like, just, and so I double down and all the energy comes up and it goes, and it, it's like, whoa, I don't have any space in here. There's ice cream everywhere. And all of a sudden it's like, I can't get out the mouth. Where do I go? The sinus canal, whoosh, and all of a sudden, all that energy goes up, and it's like, whoa, whoa, what is this? This is industrial thick snot. Oh, well, wham, and it goes right through, and all of a sudden, out my nose, pow, I kid you not, like a bungee cord, it hung. You could hang on this, and I'm sitting there, and as it's just like going like this, I'm just like, and she's like, And I'm like desperately looking for my napkin. Please God, where is, make a napkin appear. And it must have fallen on the floor or something. It's gone. And I, and I didn't want to go. Because <laughs> that would have been gross. So, I, so I'm just desperately looking the whole time. These things are just like. And she just kind of like takes her napkin and she's like. We never went on another date. Now, was I devastated after that date? No. No, I was not. You know why? Because we were just friends. Like, it wasn't even like, it was like we were just friends. My roommate set me up on this date. I had no romantic feelings for her. I didn't expect this to go anywhere. If I had, if I thought this is the date that everything in my future is resting on, I would be wrecked at the end of that. Errol, you snotted your way out of that one. Like, it's, what, how could you possibly do this? But I didn't, because it was just a date. And the cool thing is this, over the course of time, when, I met, when, I, when Julie and I started dating, and now that, now that we've been married this long and I'm looking back on all the dates we've had, like that date, it's an even, even easier story to tell. Why? Because it doesn't compare. I'm married to Julie. I, 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 we've got dates now, and it's just amazing. I've had far more embarrassing moments with Julie than I ever had in that situation, and she still loves me. <laughs> and so that date is like a shadow in comparison to what I'm experiencing now. 
the expectation on that being the end-all, be-all would have been terrible, especially since I realized it wasn't. It wasn't. Which is why we have such an amazing thing with Jesus. If this system was the end-all, be-all, we would have been in trouble. But it wasn't. It's almost as if God was saying, I want you to experience something so burdensome and so difficult, so impossible. Follow people who are clearly human and not perfect so that you are waiting for someone who is better. And in fact, he is the one you are to lean upon. That is Jesus, our high priest. See, that's what scripture says. We don't look to a high priest who doesn't get us, who's imperfect. We actually, we lean on someone, we lean on a high priest who does get us, who is perfect. And we see this in the book of Hebrews when it says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest, who's it talking about? Jesus. Well, who's it talking about? That's right. Who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It does not say, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess because these guys will never disappoint you. It does not say, let us hold on to our faith in, our, in Jesus because these guys have never let us down. No, because of who Jesus is. That's why we hold firmly to our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That is something that no human priest or pastor could ever say. I've been tempted in every way and I've never sinned, but Jesus can. He can't say that. Amen? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe another way of putting it is this, that Jesus, who is God, came to the people to bring the people to God. And the cool thing is this, this whole priestly system, the way that it was done when he became our high priest was removed it was set apart because what, when, when Jesus died on the cross, when he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. This is why. Because Jesus, who is our high priest, gave the best sacrifice himself. He didn't bring a sacrifice of, of, of an animal. He didn't bring a sacrifice of us. He brought the holiest sacrifice, the most blemish-free sacrifice he could himself. He, as our high priest, provided the sacrifice. The ha sacrifice just happened to be him. And when he did that, all of a sudden, he opened something up to the rest of us. When he said, the sacrificial system is done, it's done, the temple system is done, there's going to be a new temple. Where's the temple now? Scripture says that you're his temple. And all of a sudden, that holy of holies that was in the temple where that, that Yom Kippur sacrifice was brought, something happened. And Scripture says that when Jesus breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. The sacrifice is done. Something took place in the temple. The, the curtain that separated the holy holies from the priests was ripped. The thing that only the high priest could go in and encounter was torn in two. And then all of a sudden it's open, almost like saying, not only is this temple system done, but this holy of holies, it's done too. Because guess what? This is going out to everyone. That, that now all of a sudden everyone has access to the throne. Because of what Jesus did, people have the ability to have an interaction with God that they had not had before. And all, now all of a sudden we don't need all these priests. We're not leaning on them. I mean, we could be in a church system. We could be accountable to a pastor. We could learn from spiritual leaders. That's great. But we're not leaning on them. Now we're leaning on our high priest. And now what he's done is he's now opened up the Holy of Holies so that every single person who is a Christian who's been washed in his blood is now a priest. 
If you're a Christian, you're a priest. You're privileged. I don't know if, you, if you've felt privileged, but think about it. You are so privileged. You're so privileged. You, if you're a Christian, you are so privileged. You have access to talk with God anytime you want. You, you, have, an, you have the ability to bring your confessions to him, not to a priest, not to a go-between. Because of Jesus, he's made that go-between access points that we go right to him individually. We're privileged. We're so privileged. And when people are, have a privileged encounter with someone, they talk about it. Like you may have met like a celebrity in your life. Some of you have, right? Or you've got a backstage pass to like a concert. You're like, oh man, I feel so amazing. And you tell people about it, right? You Instagram about it or you tell your family, like, oh yeah, that's when I met this guy or that's when I met her. Like I, only ha- I don't have many of those situations at all, but I have one. I was at a concert at an MXPX concert, which is a punk rock show, Christian punk, but it's punk. And, and it was like, they had a mosh pit and everything else. And I'm going right up to the front and the, the, the music was amazing. If you get a chance today, listen to some MXPX. And so I'm like listening to, then Mike Carrera, the lead singer, he's up on stage and I'm like, this is amazing. I get caught up in the moment. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stage dive. And so I get up, no, it's okay, it's all right. And so I, I push up onto the stage and I stand and right, and I know that I gotta act quickly because the bouncers from the side are gonna come and take, take you off stage and put you somewhere. But I, I stand up and as I stand up, I realize I'm face to face with my Carrera. I've listened to this guy's music and now like I'm, I'm like getting his spittle on me. I'm like, this is like that close, right? And all of them, I'm like, this is so cool. And I turn around and I look behind me and the crowd's like, yeah! And I'm like, all right and I jump back, and they catch me. It was so cool, because you thought they weren't, but they caught me, and they floated me out, and, and I just remember going, and I, every time I'm talking to someone, and, and music comes up, there's a good chance I'm going to talk about that moment where I was at the MXPX concert where I stage dive and I floated around, and I was this close to my Carrera, and if someone talks about MXPX, of course I'm going to talk about the fact that I was at an MXPX concert, and I was this close to my Carrera, and I stage dive and floated, and it was amazing. If someone is saying, oh man, I had the worst day ever, my grandmother, she came over, she chewed me out, I'm like, oh, that's, I was at an MXPX concert, and it was, I was right this close to my Carrera, and they're like, Mike who? I'm like, it doesn't matter. This close! Why? Why do we do that as humans? Because when you feel privileged, when you feel like you've encountered something that's special and unique, especially with someone you've looked up to, you gotta tell people about that. You know what that's called? Evangelism. That's, what's, that's what priests do. That's what we're called to do. We see that in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You, all of us who are Christians, are a royal royal race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may what? You may what? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Every single person here, you are a priest. Do not, do not, do not depend on NBC pastors or someone you listen to on the radio or some book you've read to be the spokesperson for God. He's chosen a spokesperson for God. You. Jesus has given you the ability to communicate with people. And like my Carrera, you're gonna find yourself talking about him in weird times. When friends are going through ups and downs, you're gonna share life experiences, your faith. When you're super excited, 
you're going to be sharing it. Not because you're, you're obnoxious or you're a jerk who just can't get off. You're like a one-tuned person. But that it, because it's a part of your heart and your life, you're going to find ways to experience and express the fact that you are living in this privilege. Church, we need to be the people who are leaning, leaning, leaning on our high priest and living like a priest so that the world will know the person who did this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up the fact that our entire life is yours. We can have an expression walking out of here, God, not that um, we walk out of here as perfect people. We know, just like the priests of old, just like the pastors and priests of today, we are not perfect. Lord, we have arguments with our family. We, we, get, in, uh, we get into major drama at work. But Lord, we come before you and repent. We ask your forgiveness. We lay down our whole life to you. We're asking you to take it, take our life. Lord, right now we're also lifting up our offering to you. We're asking that you not only um, receive it, but you use it to impact others. God, our entire life is laid down for you as a sacrifice. So we give you thanks for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.